1: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Conor Clancy, and I'm joined by just one man this week. Kev pugzelski is here with me. Kev, hello, how are you?
0: I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm a big enough for two men. Or are you? persons.
1: In in which dimension? Not,
0: not in physical stature, just in uh, character, personality. It's, a, it's 2021, it's a new it's a new year, it's a new me. <laughs> right, I was going
1: to say, Is it the first, it's not the first time we've spoken this year. We spoke no. last weekend, right? It's hard yeah. to keep tabs on on what's happening. Obviously, there was a round of A in between us last speaking, but um, as you pointed out, my timetable didn't allow for us to record after that midweek round. But anyway, look, we are back. There has been another round of A football. It was round number who knows what. It was 17, I believe. And not too much happened, but I suppose the big winners of the weekend were probably Milan and maybe Juve. But we're going to start with Juve because that is the match that we've both just finished watching on this Sunday evening. They beat Sassuolo. Um, I'm kind of obliged to say they beat 10-man. Sassuolo 3-1. But, Kev, is it fair to say that it, it wasn't
0: convincing from Juve? No, not at all. Um there's probably two sides to this there's there's the midweek victory over milan where um i won't say the first time but i think sometimes with my age i kind of forget things it was one of the one of the few times that i've seen a game behind closed doors played with such sort of intensity from both sides midweek so then you looked at tonight and you and you thought obviously the, the three points that that Juve got in milan Put them in a great position with their game in hand to sort of kick on for the total challenge, and they're facing another side that will pose a threat to them. So you think they'd be at it, you know? You think the players would be on it? And the first half was slow, uh, ponderous. They were extremely deep. I know um uh, present that threat on on the breakaway, but they seem to sort of kind of play into their hands, and there were a couple of times when Sassuolo, uh threatened to break and Bonucci, uh, arguably because he had two or three defenders following back with him, only picked up a booking for a sort of a tactical foul, a tug on uh, Capuso. And then you had uh, Benton cure on Juricic, that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> I, always, I always get one terribly wrong. Um, as Again, as, as they looked to break and, and he almost rugby tackled him to the to the ground. Um but yeah, they, they were really, really fortunate because Pedro um, Abiyang was sent off on 45 minutes. They almost took the lead just before half time, and Ronaldo seemed to hesitate as the ball sort of rolled across an empty goal. That was
1: really strange, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, you saw him stutter as well. You saw him almost lift his leg as if um, on, on the British commentary said they expected him to kind British. of slide so he re- reached reach the ball. Instead, yeah. he sort of... He, he hesitated, ended up stopping the ball on the line and it got, his, got shepherded, shepherded away. Um, and eventually, if uh, Chiriches hasn't has sort of left the ball to run oh. across the six-yard box and Ramsey tap it in, I'm not sure if I saw Juventus getting a goal another way. I know they scored three on the night, but the, the last one is because at that point, the visitors are, are spent and Ronaldo just breaks away and he's, and he's clinical clinical in those positions. Um, I think that breaks to somebody else and we could see him fire over and it ends 2-1, which would have helped my match report because then I had to squeeze in (laughs) (laughs) a late goal, which is always difficult to do. But um, they go to Inter next week. So I think the three points are really important with keeping some form of momentum, but Mm. based purely on the performance, they still look like they're stuttering this season. They do. And even in this game, Cristiano Ronaldo
1: wasn't himself. There was that chance that you would have put all of the money you have ever saved in your life on him scoring it after Kulusevski teed him up, basically from the penalty spot. And he failed to find the corner when you would have really just... It's the kind of chance that he usually takes with his eyes closed, you know? And it just wasn't to be. Kulusevski himself missed a pretty poor chance in the first half. He had just come on not too long before that. But, I mean, on another day, I guess Juve did have the chances to win this a little bit more comfortably than it turned out to be in the end, but I mean, what a performance from Sassuolo, because they went down to 10 men, away to Juve for the majority of the match, Obian got sent off just before halftime, so they had to negotiate the entire second half with 10 men, and I can't be alone in thinking that, I, I thought it looked like it was 11 against 11, and at times it even looked like Sassuolo had the extra man when they were attacking, because they really pegged Juve back. And do you reckon that this was a case of attack almost being the best form of defence where De Zerbi thought, well, if we have the ball in your half, you can't be near our goal. So let's just keep on attacking, guys.
0: I'm, I'm not sure because at half time, um, De Zerbi made some substitutions to go slightly more defensive, which he, he kind of had to do. Um, that's what probably made me think, feel that the performance on Juventus' side was... So poor because actually, the chances you're talking about didn't really come until they went down to 10 men. Um, I thought that the, the benefit that uh, Sosilo have is that they do still pose that threat because they are so good in attack. Whereas, um, I, I pick pick any number of other sides where it would have just been back to the and nothing really else going forward. I mean, but with that, that confidence they've got, then they can still pose a threat. And, and and they probably are uh, intelligent enough to realise that that does form a basis for your, de- you know, your defence. I think mean, what was, what was good from a um, sort of a neutral, if you like, for the spectacle was that they equalised pretty quickly because uh, the Danilo goal came sort of six minutes into the the second half, and if they got a second after that, then it you know it could have been a completely different contest. But again, they showed that. Um, that sort, of, that's, that sort of courage, I suppose, to continue attacking Juve, even though you know, they could have probably got another two or three goals if they'd just gone gun ho
1: I received a text message during the first half of this match um, which said, what's going on with the kits in hmm. the juve Sassuolo game? You you have to ask Kev to explain what's happening there because I couldn't work it out, Kev, because Juve's home kit is basically all white, right? So Sassuolo wore all white um so then you've had to change to their i don't know what kit it is now their fourth fifth
0: seventh kit i don't know the navy blue one i'll, I'll refer to it as their nicest kit it is their um, nicest kit. I, I do think it is their nicest kit but because i was doing my sort of pre-match prep i sort of had the laptop on in front of me and i had this the tv on and then sort of lifted my head as the referee was blowing his whistle and i i had all of the uh, Sosuolo players facing away from me and I just saw the white sort of backs to it and I hadn't quite, my eyes hadn't quite adjusted to notice that it was green numbering. Mm. So I was actually looking at the Juventus players thinking, what kit of Sosuolo? That, that's not black <laughs> and green straight. And it, it did. It took me 30 seconds to realise <laughs> that that you they were at home but not playing uh, in their home street. I don't know. I always, you you you've, moaned at me regularly on this for uh, my old fashionism or whatever we call it, Um, being a traditionalist. But I think at the very least, you should wear your home strip at home. But I can only assume that the white away kit clashes with Juve's home kit and the black stripes on their home kit clashes with Juve's home kit. Okay,
1: but even even if that was the case, Sassuolo have that amazingly funky third kit. You know, the really bright blue and green one. So I don't know why they didn't just wear that.
0: Yeah, I'd forgotten about that actually because I I, <laughs> I, I I hadn't recalled a third kit uh, for Swallow but even then I think they, they if they're on the away side they should probably be forced to either at the start of the season design a away kit that doesn't clash with any other home side's traditional colours or bring out a third strip.
1: I don't know I, I feel like if your away kit is involving different colours from your home that's that's fair enough but Juve are a bit of a, a joke. I mean, that that kit that they wore tonight shouldn't be too different from their own kit. It's just that this year they're pretending to be Real Madrid. So it, it looked a little bit different. But Juve got the win. Uh, we're not going to talk about them too much more. But I do think that they deserve a bit of credit for getting the win because it's something that they haven't always done this season. They've drawn more games than they have, than they, they would have in, in a normal season. But they didn't play well but won, which is what we've praised them for so often. ...in the past. Um, they kind of needed to win because Milan won again. Of course they did. They played Torino at home, which was always going to be a bit of a gimme. Um, Rafael Leao and Frank Kessie scored. Uh, Kessie got another penalty for Milan. It's not a shot at you guys, Milan fans. It's just a fact. Uh, but Rafael Leao, he's, he's quite a joy recently, isn't he? Ibrahimovic came in and almost seemed to put an arm around him... ...and his form improved from there. But now, even in Ibra's absence... He's doing some big things.
0: Yeah, he seems to be taking a lot of responsibility. You know, asking for the ball, going looking for the ball, holding it up, being being the person that sort of puts Milan on the front foot when they attack. Um, shows the likes of Diaz that, you know, if things come from running at players and taking them on and, and showing a little bit of ingenuity. Um, you know, just take the goal... Um, Last weekend, you know, just chasing on to what could have just rolled harmlessly through to the goalkeeper mm. and getting there before him and then and wonderfully uh, finishing. And it was um, it was a really, really nice finish, like a team move um, that put Milan uh, in the lead. And if we consider that the loss to Juventus was probably their first major setback this season, it was an excellent response because um, anybody who watched the game just you would have realised that Milan just constantly or looked in control for the entire 90 minutes, really.
1: What do we think about the penalties? Both decisions correct. Milan were given a penalty after VAR intervention and Torino had a penalty taken away from them after VAR intervention.
0: Uh, well, you can talk on the Torino one because I must have <laughs> missed it. Okay. Because um, I only saw the first half in, in full. Um, the, 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 the The Milan penalty wasn't a penalty for me. Um I think there's an element of Diaz f- falling into Bellotti. Um I think oddly if Bellotti's not there, he probably because he overruns the ball, he probably runs past the ball and there's a defender behind him that's closer close enough to kind of like just clear it away. Interestingly, I can't remember who it was he passed before he approached Bellotti, but it looked like he they caught him on the heels, oddly, with it inside the box and he kind of stumbled a little. And then was kind of between. I've gone probably a step too far to go down after that initial challenge, but I'll throw myself into this next one that's coming, um, and yeah, it it was it was soft and certainly goes into that category of seen them given if it hadn't been awarded. Yeah, I, I'm tend
1: to think I tend to think that that isn't a penalty that one. I it did look like Balotelli got a little toe on the ball and yeah, if. If Diaz hadn't already been going down, Belotti wouldn't have been able to kick his leg before getting the ball because Diaz had run past the ball, which is a, an unusual thing to do.
0: Well, well, it's almost Diaz kicks Belotti before Belotti's foot touches the ball. And there's um there was a penalty in the the Fiorentina-Cagliari game uh, this afternoon where uh, Vlajevic kicks the defender uh, and nearly got given. It went to it went to VAR, but he kicks the defender milliseconds after the uh, defender sort of toe poked the ball out of his path because he you know is about to strike from about I don't know eight or ten yards away. Mm. I I think the the Torino one was probably the right call.
1: I mean I can't remember which Torino player it was now, but they were lining up a shot and Tonali just kind of got his foot in between the the ball and the l- swinging leg. And then he
0: ended up getting a kick in the back of the calf and uh, injured himself, I believe. Did you uh, did you notice the collision on Teo Hernandez in the build up to the Milan opener? Um, he got a- he got absolutely clattered by uh, Thomas Rincón. Rincón just uh, body checked him, and he mm. took a- he took a he-, he took a hell of a hit. Um, but it just makes me smile because uh, there was a there was an incident in the uh, Milan juve game. Where Hernandez sort of took a, a real painful sort of knock, and he's it's because he goes down so easily under the least of challenges yeah and he and he tries to stay up after some of the most reckless challenges yeah. on him, and the you know they kind of balance each other out when you get frustrated <laughs> about him going down easy when you see him take a sort of full on sort of shoulder barge um, and he's in physical pain, you think well you know that's the that's the yin and yang of the situation.
1: That makes it more frustrating for me because he's a powerful guy. You know, he shouldn't mm. be going down under any old challenge when he can stay off with things like that. But that was a classic example of him just being like a train, right? He got into at full flight and nobody was going to get in the way of him. But then who played the assist? Was it Chalunoglu or Brahim Diaz? Diaz. Teo yeah. offloaded it to to Brahim and he played it through to Leao. That was a really nicely worked goal from Milan. So... Full credit there. Torino, and we won't talk about them because we're going to try and get things moving on this week's party. The biggest game of the round probably came at the in the capital at the Stadio Olimpico where Inter and Roma drew 2-2. And Inter have quite, I guess, a, a troubling record against the top five teams this season. They lost against Milan. They drew against Roma. They drew against Atalanta. Um, I can't really remember the rest of them, but they've got juve up next and i mean the way juve are going and the way inter are going you'd have to say juve are probably favorites coming into this one
0: yeah they, they certainly are based on today's performance um do i struggle uh watching the 12 30 kickoffs to work out whether yeah. You know, it's a sluggish start from either side or just that that time because they they do tend to... And it might be subconscious now. I've seen so many poor games at 12.30 that they all seem, you know, appear to start poor. Um, They were kind of slow into closing Pellegrini down. I know his shot from distance got a a nick off of Bastoni and went past Handanovic. Um, If anything, from this game, um, because obviously you've got the the issue where you're pay, you're playing a, a potential title-stroke Champions League qualification rival that you're kind of a little bit more hesitant to, to go all out. Uh, not that many Conte sides go all out, um, but just the fact that they failed to hold on to that lead because I can see them getting into that position against Juve next week, particularly if Juve start like they did tonight. Um, but I'd I'd be concerned that they would then be able to hold on to that lead a bit like they they gave it up again because it, it just came from Roma building pressure on their goal sort of consistently for the last 20-25 minutes really and won that quarter and Mancini sort of flicked it home.
1: A quick glance at the the score sheet would make you think that there were four unlikely goal scorers and Lorenzo Pellegrini, Gianluca Mancini, Milan Skriniar and Ashraf Hakimi but Hakimi's becoming a bit of a on the on the wings, isn't he? He's just going to keep banging them in.
0: Yeah, there was um, there was a game earlier in the season when he scored two. I, I mm. can't remember who it was. It was against Inter. I can't remember if I mentioned this on another pod once. When a couple of times, I know he was kind of... No, he wasn't on a hat-trick. He'd only scored one at this point. But on two separate occasions close together, Inter broke from the corner. And you think Lukaku, Martinez... But Hakimi was ahead of yeah. all of them. He seems to have this determination to get on the, uh, the, the score sheet. And obviously, it's, it, it's great when you've got, let's say, a uh, not a naturally left-sided wing-back and Ashley Young on the other side, that he provides that sort of attacking threat and determination to get down the wing. But the ability to come in on his left side and sort of put the, uh, the ball right into the top corner... Um, I know you love a, a strike off the bar, and the ones that go bar and then post are, are are quite lovely to watch. Oh,
1: it was a delicious strike. You can't say anything other than that about it. It was, it was stunning. But you look at Hakimi, and then you see what Teo's doing at Real, or not at Real Madrid, at Milan, and you wonder why on earth did Real Madrid let the two of them go? Because they're two of the most exciting fullbacks around at the moment, it, maybe it's a, a systemic thing, but I, I'm not sure, I mean, Teo, is very exciting, you know, he, we've criticised him on this podcast before, and I don't think he's the best left-back in the world, like some Milan fans will have you believe, but he's better than Marcello, you know, he could be at Real Madrid having a, a bit of a dispute with Ferlamendi for that left-back slot, and I, I'd have Ashraf over, Danny Carvajal, any day of the week, to be honest. It's it's a strange one. It's a very, very strange one. Uh, one of the other big teams was here in Parma today on Sunday. And it was Lazio. They beat Parma 2-0. And if we're talking about good goals, we've got to talk about Lazio's second. I believe it was their second. Although, Yeah. I can't think. Of it. it was their second. Luis Alberto it was got the first. Second, yeah. And then the... I mean, everything about it. They were so patiently moving the ball around the edge of the box. And then Chiro Mobile wasn't even looking towards the area that he passed the ball into, but he perfectly slipped it through Palmer's defence for Sergei Milinkovic Savic. And then Sepa came out and went to ground, and you thought, oh, Savage has two options. He's going to dink it over him, or he's going to take it round him and go down and win a penalty. And. He didn't either of those. Well, he did think it over him, but straight across the six-yard box for Felipe Casado to run in and tap into an open goal, and it was one of the most enjoyable goals I've seen in the flesh. I think it was so nicely done, and every pass or the two, those two final passes were so precise and so so hard to see happening before they happened. Too, it was an absolute delight.
0: Yeah, it was a lovely move. The only um, the only way it could have been bettered was if Sepe hadn't brought down Milinkovic-Savic. It was almost as he, the touch, less being a pass, because he sort of lifted it just a yard or two off the floor over the goalkeeper. If he'd been standing, he could have sort of swept it into the mm. net. I remember Messi doing it against Arsenal in the Champions League, maybe. 5 or 6 years ago now, 7 maybe, I can't remember how last time Arsenal were in the Champions League um where um Almunia came out and you thought Messi was just going to shoot a lot like you would have thought Milinkovic-Savic was today and he flicks it over him and then just waits for the ball and just sort of slides it home so that that would have really sort of um put a, an even an even sweeter touch on a wonderful team move
1: Yeah, it would have. I thought you were going to say it would have been nicer if Milinkovic-Savic hadn't fallen, played it across to Caicedo, and then Caicedo gave it back to him in the box, which makes me think of. I remember you might not, you might not want me to bring this up, but when Liverpool played Chelsea that time, when Gerrard did the slip and Bao went through on goal, but do you remember the second goal Uh, in that game? Torres broke, and then oh, that was it, and then gave it to William. And Willian looked back as if to say, I'll, I'll give it to you. But but Torres didn't follow in. So Willian had a tap in into an open goal. And yeah, that was an enjoyable moment. It would have been more enjoyable if he had have actually played that pass because it would have been a bit of a a bit of a piss take, I guess. There's no other way to describe it. But um, that was a difficult enough afternoon for you. Uh, I'm sure you didn't want to see Fernando Torres
0: scoring. Um, it was the only time I've driven home for four hours and not spoken to anybody (laughs) still to this day still to this day it was Uh, a remarkable
1: game I just remember seeing Thomas Callas starting for for Chelsea and Mourinho was sick with the flu there's just that celebration afterwards where he's running down the touchline all sick and bunged up it's just absolutely classic it's it's an all-time great game
0: it's it's very rare I'm speechless Uh, (laughs) I can vouch for that
1: yeah but yeah um, but Parma, Liverani's gone. Everybody here is a lot happier and Parma looked a lot better as well. They actually took a shot in the first 10 minutes and then they had another shot in the first 15 minutes and they showed a lot more attacking intent in the first half of today's game than they had in so long under Liverani. They had 10 shots in all. Three of them were on target, which, I mean, it's uncharted territory for for the Crociati.
0: So everybody's happy apart from Diversa then? Uh, yeah, did know. you see the I pictures? <laughs> yeah. What's that about? And I, I, I usually I don't like but...
1: reading into pictures. I, I I often think players and coaches must be so angry just having to take photos all day. But it, he did look very, very upset in those photos. He looked he
0: looked, he looked like he was being held against his will um, to, to coach Palmer. Um whether, you know people can speculate on whether they think he is or isn't um as the fact that they're paying him wages probably restricts him from moving elsewhere um but yeah it, it tickled me when i saw it um, I, w- I wonder just the if way he was holding the scarf happy, actually because
1: you've touched on that because he was being paid by them anyway so all that's happened now is he's got more work to do for the same amount of money so you might be a little bit annoyed, but he did say that he's home and, and things like that. So I, I do think that it was just an unfortunate couple of photographs that got out, but you'd ask him to take another one, wouldn't you? Just Roberto, yeah. sorry, do you mind just not looking
0: like we've insulted your family, please? Also, they could have just used his original photo. <laughs> no, because um, they needed
1: Krause and Carly in it.
0: Oh, okay. So that because was... Because the they probably... You know, they're in a difficult situation and they probably pulled him away from tactical analysis, training, something that he wanted to be mm. doing, you know, rather than doing publicity for um for the club website or whatever else they're, they're sort of placing these things. But yeah.
1: But like I said, encouraging signs for Parma, and given that they were without a number of important players as well. I mean the back four was a little bit makeshift. Osorio was on the right, Valenti and Bruno Alves were at centre back and Boozy at what's his first name, Maxime Buzi was playing on the left, which is more or less one of their usual starting four, I would imagine that Valenti and Azorio will become regulars now that is back, but yeah, promising signs finally for Parma, and it was the first time this season I've gone to a game there and not been bored out of my tree for much of it, but There we go. They're still in the bottom three. They're second from bottom now, but they are just two points behind Genoa, Cali and Spezia. So it's going to be a bit of a a dogfight down there come the end of the season, you would think. Fingers crossed that Parma can climb out of it. Atalanta, the crisis club, they've scored 12 goals in their last three games. I think it's fair to say that they're back. Kev, they beat Benevento 4-1 on the road this time.
0: Yeah, I, I think if anybody doesn't or hasn't, uh, watch this game I have two words for them which is Josip Ilicic mm. um, absolute joy his performance it was a joke um, I'm not sure anybody can rival him for player of the week uh, from me this uh, this round um, but yeah they're they're now fifth uh, what are they a point a couple of points behind Juve crisis. what crisis?
1: Yeah, and it it is important to note that they do still hold a game in hand over most of Serie A as well because of that Udinese game in December, which was postponed because of the rain. So they're three points off Roma with a game in hand over them, and they are, what, nine points behind top with a game in hand over Milan, obviously, as well. So very much there. And, I mean, that's, what is it, seven games now unbeaten without, without Papu? The only time he played was in that. He came on at halftime against, or just after halftime against Juve. And to his credit, he did change it. But I don't know if you saw, Kev, the, the whole Papu gate has taken yet another strange turn. Gasparini was speaking on Saturday saying that um, we had great memories with Papu. We had great times with him, but we asked him to adapt and he didn't. Um, that he, he wanted him to give more help to Freuler and Daron in midfield. And I remember thinking, as he said it, that doesn't seem quite right. And then Papu posted a lot of videos on Instagram on Sunday morning of himself doing exactly what Gasparini accused him of not doing. Um, what's happening? It's so strange. It it's just very very strange.
0: Yeah, it's it sounds like it's getting a bit toxic, and it's it's a terrible end if you like to. Although I don't think the fans will take it with a pinch of salt when you when you look on these things you know people fall out things change at football clubs but I kind of if anything listening to you say about you know the the posting stuff on on social media I know that is very much a an avenue for players to sort of get their message across these days but I think as an Atlanta fan I would probably be a little disappointed with that response Um, particularly because you know he's not he's not particularly known for being sort of outspoken and and using that sort of media to, to sort of make make points, so it's just it's just a it's a bit disappointing more than anything. It is a bit disappointing. Probably, isn't it? Probably for Gasparini as well, you know, because I'm not I'm not aware of him sort of, but I suppose he's he's got to be more vocal as the coach.
1: Yeah, I mean Gasparini is a bit of a, a fiery, character, but uh, yeah, it is just a big shame anyway Louis Muriel (laughs) I mean he's the best substitute I said last season I think it was that he's the best substitute in Serie A he's the best substitute in the world he's he's played in 14 Serie A games this season for a total of 454 minutes he scored 10 goals and assisted two so he's scoring every half basically and he's assisting as well it's it's ridiculous
0: yeah, I saw a, I saw a tweet of yours or a comment made um, by you over the weekend about the sort of the best substitute you know or, you know just just keep him a sub you know we don't you know, don't need to start him and it, it got me thinking to bits of his sort of earlier career and whether when he was almost brought in as the, the man that the side that he was playing for needed to depend on he was inconsistent he kind of struggled to maybe take on that you know, the responsibility of being sort of the leading man in probably the opposite way as you think that, you know, that's where you start as a patter because he almost shows up all the time. You know, I'm not saying Muriel isn't at Atalanta, but it is, you know, what he does off of the bench at the moment is in quite a contrast to sort of is the inconsistency he showed. Even, you know, I'm not talking about when he was a really young striker, but, you know, when you, when you expected to get more off of him, you know, when he was at, at Samp. Um, so, yeah, but... Brilliant. Brilliant what he provides from the bench. I mean,
1: he was praised for what he did at Fiorentina, which kind of got him his move to Atalanta. And he played 19 times there, playing more minutes in those 19 games than he did in 34 appearances last season. So in more or less 1,500 minutes for Fiorentina, he scored six goals. In 1,200 minutes for Atalanta last season, he scored 18. He's he's quite clearly very capable of taking advantage of tired legs because when he gets running he's very very quick but he just burns out really quickly as well so i do mm-hmm. think it's the perfect situation for him at atalanta
0: i suppose if he's starting as well and playing more minutes it gives it gives fans longer to sort of just raise silly comments about things he's done wrong during a game and then you see you see more of them as opposed to sort of when he comes on to, for sort of 25 30 minutes
1: yeah it's true and and now can you think being an, an opposition defender right because um it was one all when muriel started to get ready and then atalanta scored twice in the space of three minutes or whatever it was so it was three one and then luis muriel walks onto the pitch you know you're going to concede again it just must be an absolute nightmare to, to play against when you see him coming on, as if you've not got your hands full enough with Atalanta. But yeah, Ilicic, we touched on him a little bit briefly, but he was he did everything, Kev. It was a phenomenal performance. He quite harshly didn't get two assists because it was his shot which was saved that Zapata then turned in. Um, assisted to lawyers with that dinked pass to the back post that he had tried so many times before it worked out as well.
0: Yeah, two minutes in, I think he, he sent a uh, sort of a dinked curling effort to the back post, which I think it must have been Gosens that it was was fired yeah. wide. Um, then he struck the post, yeah. I, think, I think, after they'd taken the lead. Uh, yes, I think he sort of took a short free kick, Skip past the fender, bent that he was just he well oddly enough it's it's replaying on my TV again now but everything is going through him and he you know he's, he's literally just bent one that took a nick off of a heel uh, and went around the post it, it's why sometimes we get games where he's he, he bags a hat trick or more you know he, he can't even excluding the penalties he takes. Phenomenal football, lovely to watch.
1: Yeah, he is. He's one of those that's really. There aren't too many players as enjoyable to watch as him at the moment. So it, get the, if you get the chance, do it because he's getting on a little bit as well. Um, elsewhere, 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 elsewhere. Udinese and Napoli. You watched this. I didn't. It was a surprisingly entertaining game, and it it took. I was shocked to see a uh, Timo Bakayoko last minute winner for for Napoli to overcome Udinese.
0: Yeah, I uh, I, I took one for the team, knowing <laughs> that you were, uh, you were at Parma Lazio and uh, the only other option that I had uh on UK broadcast was uh, Udinese Napoli, and it was, it was strangely entertaining. Um, you, you kind of expected Napoli to win, but they weren't by any great margin the better side. Um, Udinese were clearly planning to play on the counter, but. Napoli's rather high line allowed them allowed them to do that. Um, they they got what looked a harsh pen um, in in truth, which Insigne put away, and then they kind of you know Napoli kind of just oh it was there's no real cutting edge at the at, at the at the front end of the team, although Lozano went close to a header, and then. Awful defending Brudnese to get their goal. Um, but it was a game that could have ended 3-3. Free, free, uh, and, and yeah, Bakayoko stepping up with a goal that came off his head, could have come off his shoulder the way he sort of leapt into just a crowd of players. And they uh, marginally um, deserve victory.
1: Kev, I'm not happy because andrea patania has been disrespected by Corriere de la sports over here he was dubbed pointed out by patrick kendrick i should say on twitter he was dubbed the backup to the backups backups backup and i just think that's an unnecessary dig here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact
0: Um well we all know your feelings for Patania. Um I, I have been surprised to see him sort of starting for Napoli um because he played particularly poorly midweek when they lost although even though he scored um when they lost to Specia unless that was last weekend again we've had we've had a week where we've had too many games again in the space of um seven to eight games. I'm
1: pretty sure it was midweek. Yeah, it was midweek. Um
0: and yeah I, I I think that for a club that are potentially looking to requalify for the Champions League um, want somebody that maybe is a little bit more not having a mo- mobile a little bit more prolific I know and you know, I know we we'll probably we could probably go into overtime on this podcast of us arguing over the merits <laughs> well, lack of from me um, but yeah maybe a little bit disrespectful to say a backup backup of the backup
1: yeah just, just a little bit you would imagine I can't imagine Petani will be speaking to any journalist from that newspaper for the foreseeable
0: Um, I, I sh- sorry I should say before we you know we leave this because it, it made it sound as though Napoli really didn't offer anything because um, looking at my notes I've written down great performance by Muso. Musso uh, I don't know how many uh, saves he made during a game but he did seem to be pulling off some particularly spectacular ones from sort of close range so it wasn't as if they didn't have chances, but I say on another day it could have been three-three because Udinese had plenty of chances as well.
1: They, yeah, I mean the the statistics even suggest that as well. Sorry, I just got distracted because Pedro Obiang has come out to to apologise on on Twitter, but oh, I, sorry, I misread it as well because I was distracted by you while being distracted from you by him. But, yeah, he's apologised for the mistake that cost his team, obviously getting off, sent off for that nasty challenge. I never wanted to leave the team down to 10 men for to Sassuolo. So I, I thought he had just completely overlooked the fact that he nearly chopped Federico Chiesa's ankle off. But there, there is a little bit in there saying, I, I also send my condolence or my wishes to Federico Chiesa. So he did get there following Martin Derone's path, which is nice to see. Kev, you don't look like you're pleased about that.
0: I I wouldn't I wouldn't apologize. well apart from my teammates back in the changing room um but the the replay you know on in slow motion makes it look far worse um if I, if I if I had issue with him at all it was the position of where it was on the pitch you know it was inside the Juventus half it was 45th minute they were going nowhere with the ball and the tackle wasn't there to make so he had to lunge and then his lunge is only fractionally off. But obviously the angle and the sort of size of him and and, and the way the part of uh, Chiesa's ankle he's landed on has made it look really bad. And it's more that he shouldn't have even been bothering to challenge in that sort of position.
1: Kev, did you watch Genoa Bologna, you said?
0: I did. Right, well, what's
1: happened there? Because they've... I was just yawning while I was speaking there. The professionalism has gone through the floor today, if it was ever there. But they beat Bologna 2-0, Genoa. Uh, Davide Ballardini appears to have turned things around. I think that's seven points now in the last three games. Um, And Mattia Destroff scored again.
0: Yeah, a couple of things made me laugh um, when watching this game. So, first of all, I want to give massive... Massive praise to both sides for playing on what is possibly the worst pitch in the Italian top flight. Uh, The bobbles as players attempted to make passes was just amazing. Um, Genoa appeared to have this trend of starting a season with a coach, starting awfully, (laughs) then having a real sort of uh, new coach bounce, whatever it is we call it, um, and then dragging themselves to safety by sort of a couple of points, which is largely a reflection of the points that they pick up just after that new coach comes in. Um, then moving on to Mattia Destro, which the thing that makes me laugh is, um, you know, oh, he's, <laughs> he's it's prolific. He's prolific. Well, that is in a prolific run of form. Um, That was something that, again, one of the commentators um, said. And I thought, well, yeah, that is easy to be prolific when you score so few goals as he does. um, (laughs) To sort of (laughs) steal a living as calling yourself a a, a sort of top flight striker. And also when, um, oh, uh, you know he'll have really wanted that because it's, uh, or he's, you know, because it's against one of his former sides. It's like, well, yeah, that's because he's had about 10 <laughs> clubs. I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably well out there by about four or five clubs, but I can at least, I can think of at least a sort of a handful. And it's like, well, yeah, he's, he's going to score against his former side because he, half the league is, um, he's he's, he's run out for at one stage or another.
1: Yeah, you're right. I remember looking this up recently and being shocked that he had actually played for so many fewer teams than I had originally thought. There's really not that many as at least as many as you would think. It's more that he's had a few moves. So it was Genoa, Siena, Roma, Milan, Bologna, Genoa, Genoa. But I mean, he's not like he's 29. You know, he's been around for 10 years and he's been on the move basically more than every other
0: year. So So he's still got Udinese to rock up at. Yeah. Cause that's a given. Palmer as well, probably. Uh, Palmer. Yeah. And and actually, um in the in the area that he is, probably a nice move location wide is Hellas Verona. You know, when, when they get bored of Nikola Kalinic scoring one goal a season. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, he'll get, he'll get through at least 10 by on time his career's finished, I imagine.
1: Well, Nikola Kalinic did get his one goal for the season on Sunday against Crotone. Verona won 2-1. Federico Di Marco got the other goal. And that man, Junior Messias, scored again for Crotone. But Di Marco, I, I don't rate him very highly. But he's hit a little bit of a purple patch, a little bit of a hot streak. And his finish today, again, was very, very nice. It does seem like he's finding a little bit of a swagger under Ivan Juric, But um, I have to admit, I was shocked when I saw that Kalinic scored.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was, um, <laughs> when I saw the highlights, I watched it the day after I'd seen that Kalinic had scored. Yeah, I still assumed it was somebody else. <laughs> um, such was the sort of composure on, on the finish. I'm sort of so I'm, I'm I'm yeah I'm making my notes and uh, I've already seen the result the day before and I'm, I'm just looking to see who it is amongst the players that scored the goals because I just shot it down. I was like, oh yes, God, he scored, and I thought, oh, what well, can post finish, but he has got it in him. Um, he just really benefited from that one year when he got um, was it Deni Pro to the UEFA Cup. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Euro- Europa, Europa League, League final. final, final you say. Sorry, Show him Showing my age, everybody. I remember the UFO um,
1: Cup as well, so don't worry too much about that. But it's bad, isn't it, with, with Kalanich and Destro that you see that they've scored and you're shocked. I mean, they're, they're strikers for Serie A clubs. It shouldn't be the case, but that's just what their careers have come to.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, so a, there was a discussion, not in the pub, because we've not been to public houses for a while. Um I think it was Christian Benteke in the Premier League. He hadn't scored for 34 games and it got us, it got us onto a wider discussion as to how long or how many goals do you have to score in say a 30 game period for you to no longer be allowed to call yourself a top flight striker. <laughs> and uh, I imagine, you know, or how many minutes do you have to pay mm. maybe? Um, because there's obviously people that sit as reserve strikers for a while, but um. Yeah, Destro and Kalinic probably fall into that category at the moment that it feels like they don't really earn the right to call themselves a striker. No, absolutely
1: correct. Um Vlahovic scored the only goal as Fiorentina beat Cagliari 1-0. And, I mean, Vlahovic has hit a little bit of form as well. He's, he's another one who I've not really ever understood all that much there's a lot of hype around him. he's young and i understand that but i i don't know i don't know calgary
0: kev what's what's Two, going on there um well i got again i got excited by the fact that Udinese had thrown up an an entertaining game that i decided to then watch fiorentina Cagliari. And I watched Calorie in midweek because um, they were the they were the first game on Wednesday when they played Crotone. And it, it it was almost the same again tonight, where it was <laughs> I wrote down all oh, huff no puff. <coughs> um, they sort of <laughs> they sort of looked like they were sort of moving up the pitch and threatening to create a chance, and they didn't even get to the create a chance stage. Um where you sort of can criticize people for being wasteful in front of goal, uh it would be nice for them to actually get a few clear cut chances. Um I must admit we weren't subjected to Rajan Angle and sort of spending the last ten minutes or so sort of just smashing strikes from long distance because they weren't creating anything. But in a way both both sides really did that a little. Um just Fiorentina were fortunate to Be one goal better off.
1: Di Francesco afterwards spoke about him having a lot of anger that they didn't deserve to lose. They missed a penalty against Fiorentino away, I know. And he also said that they're worried about their survival, which you don't often hear coaches say at this point of a season. You know, they usually go with the one game at a time type thing. And apparently, Di Francesco's um, job is under observation now. So there's there's every chance that by the time a lot of you listen to this, he might well be out of a job. And it's just gone quite wrong for him, basically everywhere other than Sassuolo. He had his moments at Roma, okay, I'll give him that, but Sampdoria was a disaster. Um, Cagliari's not going to plan either. Is he running the risk of kind of, I don't want to say becoming unemployable, but getting himself into a position where coaches or clubs won't want to take a risk with him.
0: Yeah, particularly if you're sort of taking you're you're leaving sides in such a sort of perilous position towards the the foot of the table and where he's he's kind of always been renowned as a coach that follows a particular. Um,
1: style brand
0: oh, style yeah there was a different word i was but uh, i was thinking philosophy okay yeah you know, i knew it began with a p but because it didn't sound like a <laughs> period um it's like it's like we get some fascinating um, insight into how your mind works sometimes oh, oh, god it's got to work first connor um but yeah so i think when you're looking at a coach like that you want evidence that where he's gone he's been able to get everybody on board with his ideas but also turn it into performances relatively quickly whereas it seems to go the in the other direction in you know his last couple of coaching roles um, so so he, he could struggle to to find employment as opposed to, if you like, less attack-minded or dynamic-thinking coaches that just kind of come in and do a job and sort of save you from relegation.
1: Mm. Um, elsewhere, the, the final game of the weekend is going to be played, not on the weekend, it's played on, on Monday evening. It's a Ligurian derby of sorts. L- Liguria, no, um, Spezia play against Sampdoria. I, I almost said that word again when I didn't mean to, so apologies, as Kev said. It's late, and it's, it's later for me. So we've reached the end of the podcast. There's no game this week. Obviously, we were without Vito Doria again. Hopefully, we will be able to welcome him back um, into our warm embrace next weekend after round 18. Um, Kev, have you anything else to say before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. Wonderful. That's a, that's a first. And then I suppose you can say goodbye.
0: Ciao, ciao, everybody.
1: And goodbye from me. We'll speak to you soon.